Hello, and welcome to the Killing Time Podcast. I'm your host, Arch Grieve, and today I'm excited to get to talk to Nathan Schuerk, who goes by Schizophrenic Reads on TikTok. Nathan is a popular book talk creator with over 60,000 followers who reads a ton of books and does an amazing job reviewing them. We also share in common our struggles with mental illness and a somewhat similar religious upbringing that we have both left far behind. So join me as I talk with him in just a moment. Well, hello, welcome to the show, and thanks so much for coming on to talk with me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. I um, I don't often get to do these things, so it's it's really fun just to have a random conversation about all sorts of stuff. Well, it's a it's a privilege for me, so thank you very much. Um, so you go by Schizophrenic Reads on TikTok, and I really love your page because I've been in a book club for many years now, and it's hard to find good recommendations sometimes for book picks, but you seem to have an endless amount of book reviews and suggestions, so I definitely want to get to that in a second. But uh, first, could you maybe just explain your username for us a bit and what all your account is about for people who may not follow? Yeah, uh, I use schizophrenic reads. Um, it's kind of just like a play on words a little bit. I'm diagnosed with schizophrenia, so that's kind of just the obvious part about it. And I read, I guess, a lot for most people. Um, but I think it's also like the way that we like culturally talk about schizophrenia as being like very divided and displaced and um, a little bit chaotic. And I also think that kind of applies to my reading a little bit. So I read almost entirely nonfiction, but the genres aren't always the same. So I'm, I'm switching between history and memoir and uh, politics and science and, you know, all these types of things that are all just kind of disjointed. Um, and so I thought it was just a fun play on words. Absolutely. I like that. And um, that's kind of related to my next question for you, which is before we get into any books, I'd, I'd like to give listeners some sense of how many you read. And I know your goal is is just 50 for the year, I think, but you've already hit 25 by the start of March. So how many books do you think you've actually, or that you will actually read uh, this year? And, and what other interesting statistics about your reading habits could you share with folks? Yeah, so I'll I'll probably end up the year with somewhere between 120 and 150 books. Uh, I set it for 50 just because like I don't want to think about the goal too much. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, I want to have a little bit of a goal to keep me honest, but uh, I know I'll hit that goal probably next month, honestly. So um, that's just to get it out of the way, and and you know, it's it's fun to hit a goal, which is right. nice. And um, but yeah, some of my you know, my reading statistics, it varies a little bit just because of my mental health isn't always very stable. Um, I actually kept track of my like previous 50 days of reading. And on days that I am reading, I'm reading like 160 some pages typically. Um, But I have a lot of days that I don't read. So out of those like 50 days that I tracked, um, I didn't read for 20 of them. So I mean, the huge percentage of my days I don't read, but then when I do read, I, I tend to kind of consume stuff really quickly. Gotcha. And you kind of talked a little bit about what type of books you read. What, what are the histories, your top genre, I guess, of nonfiction? Yeah, I think history is probably my biggest genre. Um, I was a history major in college and philosophy, I guess. So it's always just been something that's interested me. And I think we're kind of in this new era of uh, history books actually being kind of good uh, in some way. So yeah, I love I love reading history. Um, I also love essay collections. That's probably one of my favorite things to read. Um, so yeah, history and essay collections probably are the two biggest genres. But yeah, I try to try to vary it a little bit um, just so I don't get stuck like reading the same things over and over again, but within different books. Sure. Uh, but. Yeah, I want to read a lot more mental health stuff, but I've kind of been saving it for a, a much larger project sometime in the future. So uh, definitely a topic that I'll get to, but um, is is very interesting to me, but is one that I'm like scared to get obsessed with, you know? Sure. Yeah, yeah that makes sense. Well, so I saw a video recently uh, that your favorite book that you've read so far this year is The 90s by... Chuck Klosterman. So I'm curious why, why did you love that one so much? Yeah, I like, I like books that ask questions of the readers and that you can kind of just think through while you're reading them. I think a lot of the times, especially with like dry history books, like you're just in it for a lecture and that's really all you're getting from it. But Chuck Klosterman as a writer is someone that 
is always posing different questions to the readers. And one of the main questions of the 90s is what is a decade and how do you define a decade? And, and the ways that he talks about it is not that the 90s is January 1st, you know, 1992, December 31st, 1999. Um, it's that... A decade is a, a kind of a cultural touchstone, and, and the book kind of concludes, it's not really a spoiler, I think you see it coming the whole way through, is that the 90s ends on September 11th, 2001. That's when the, mm. the culture completely shifts, and the whole book is leading up to that final statement, and um, you, you feel it coming the entire way through just with how he's talking about different things, but I think the thing that I, one of the things I found the most fascinating with the 90s is kind of the relationship that the 90s was defined by consumerism, both mm -hmm. like with the products that we consume and like how it defined us as people. And that that argument has kind of shifted in the last couple of decades. And now the big baddie of culture now seems to be, at least for a lot of people, is capitalism by its very nature. And in the 90s, it wasn't so overt. It was just consumerism. It was overconsumption. It was you know, it was artists selling out to, you know, the public or to magazines. That was, that was the worst thing you could do. And, and now the worst thing you could do is be a hedge fund manager. You know, mm -hmm. it just, we've changed what we view as villainy. And um, that's important to understand, like in the, the aspects of what the nineties were and how it defined culture and, and how that's disappeared and how it basically evaporated over the course of the morning on September 11th. Right. Wow. Okay. I'll have to check that one out then. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I saw you too mention the book Diners, Dudes, and Diets by Emily. Is it Con Contos? I'm not sure how you say her last name. Yeah, I think it's a French name, so I, I'm not too sure either. Okay. But, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, but being an ordained Dudist priest, I was really intrigued. So I started looking at some reviews and uh, learned that she does, in fact, talk about the dude from The Big Lebowski. So I never really thought about a connection, though, to food at all from that movie, except for maybe In-N-Out Burger. So I'm really curious, what what is that book all about, and why was that one of your favorites, too? Yeah, it, it is an academic book. It's, it's published by uh, UNC Press, uh, okay. but it is so readable. Like, it is one that I, I don't know a person that, like, wouldn't love it. Um, and when it talks about dudes and and the male gender as it stands is there's kind of just two different prototypes of what that means and how it corresponds with culture. It's the, um, you know, the kind of dude that is in big Lebowski. It's the, you know, it's the schlubby, it's the lazy, it's the, uh, overeating, uh, gorging yourself kind of dude that wants to be manly through food. And, and this was a huge point during like the, you do remember the mid two thousands when everything had bacon on it and bacon was like its own personality trait. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. That was, that was kind of dude in that sense, but dude also is the hyper masculine uh, gym bro type that uh, food is an obsession, but food is also so taboo that you have a lot of people eating, you know, boiled chicken and plain rice with no seasoning and that's how dudes think of food and the food industry as it should be as plain as possible in order to like maximize efficiency and in, in workouts and stuff. And so these two variations of what men bring to the food genre and how I think the culture of the food industry, or at least the advertisement agencies, like leaned into that heavily with, um, you know, things like yoga companies being like this, this, uh, this yogurt is for men because it has two grams of carbs or something like that. And you're like, I, it was the yogurt you were selling six weeks ago, but now it's men's yogurt. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's just, it's silly and it's, um, it's silly and also insulting. And also I think just speaks to like where culture is at so many different points. And, and one of the main chapters is on Guy Fieri and how he made, you know, uh, bad food, cool in some ways. And, you know, his whole show and his oeuvre with, with all of his, uh, talk show appearances and his own TV shows and just trying, kind of changing the name of what good eating can be. And, and good eating can be a, you know, a five 
pound cheeseburger and some diner in Iowa, and it doesn't have to be a, a Michelin chef in Chicago. Right. Interesting. I'm going to have to check that book out as well then. Um, well, then another book that looked really interesting to me was um, How Are You Going to Pay for That by Ryan Cooper. And I know that was also one of your favorites. So um, I wonder if you could talk about that one a little bit and why you like that so much. Yeah, I think it's just the, this ultimate conversation that we're having of like, how how do we pay for things, which is, you know, the title of the book, but it's something that we talk about in culture all the time with uh, things like healthcare, which I mean, to, to probably me and you, it's very obvious this should be, you know, a human right. Every American mm-hmm. should have healthcare. It's it's basic foundational part of like how society should exist. And right. somehow we're stuck on, well, it costs a lot. And that's such a misleading thing because we only set up society to pay for the things that we choose and we could choose it differently. And and this book just argues like a simple restructuring or reframing of these questions is basically all you need to pay for almost anything there is. And I think the book leans into some of the uh, modern monetary theory a little bit, but also the fact that when we talk about taxes, especially in the U.S., we, we talk about them like bleeding us dry. But the reason they're doing that is because they're not paying for anything substantive. Like we're not getting good infrastructure. We're not getting good public transportation. We're definitely not getting health care. I mean, everything our taxes go to, it just seems like politicians' vanity projects instead of like actually good things that the people want. You know, the every, every month on Twitter um, – there's an image trending of what high-speed rail could be like in the United States. And I would absolutely 100% approve a 3% tax rate hike for myself if we had high-speed rail in the country. I mean, it would change everything. It would change how we work and how we visit people. And it would disrupt a lot of industries that desperately need disrupting. And um, yet we don't do that because we think tax hikes are bad when, I mean, the opposite is truly the reality that we should be living in, at least mentally. Right. Well, and if you live, you know, in Dayton, like I do, then you have a base nearby that seems to be the only thing your congressman cares about funding. So, Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it doesn't get a ton into the military industrial complex and how that plays into uh, you know, how fucked up we are as a um, financial system of the United States, but no, 100% important because it is so bad. Yeah. Well, so last year, I guess your all time favorite author, and I hope I don't butcher this, Hanif Abdurak, Abdur- I can't say it. <laughs> it's, it's I practice saying it. Abdurraqib, thank you. Yep. Um, he was awarded the MacArthur Fellowship, and and you talked about some of your favorite works of his. So I'm I'm curious why he's your favorite author, and maybe could you give us a little bit of background on on his work? Yeah, my favorite book by him is "They Can't Kill Us Until They Kill Us," which is an essay collection written at the height of the 2016 presidential election, mm-hmm. and how basically, I think for a lot of us, like the world changed at that point. And I mean, like you can, you can talk about, especially, you know, 2020 things changing again, but you know, the election of Trump was just such this huge moment um, just for everyone and, and kind of a reevaluation of what matters. And he wrote this incredibly empathetic essay collection about growing up as a black Muslim man in America, in the Midwest, in Columbus, Ohio. And also he was consumed by music and he always has been. And so it's a, essay collection about the beautifulness of uh, pop culture, but also the grief of society and the grief of losing people and of, uh, you know, this new expansion of racism in the country. Um, Not really expansion, but just like, you know, they stepped into the light in ways that we hadn't seen in a couple of decades. And um, it's, I I can't even describe just how beautiful and lyrical uh, this essay collection is. Um, but it is easily one of my favorites and it's something I've reread a couple of times and just it's it's consuming when you're reading it and there's an essay collection on uh, Carly Rae Jepsen of all people that like I don't know many people that had a dry eye after reading this beautiful essay collection about going to a 
Harley Ray Jepsen concert. And uh, yeah, so it's just a book that I, I can't praise high enough and I absolutely love it. And he has two other books. He has a, an essay collection on um, the band, A Tribe Called Quest, uh, which is a really cool and I mean, he's just the most talented writer out there, honestly. Um, it's beautiful and it's interesting. And he has another collection of essays that came out last year called A Little Devil in America, which is all about um, praising Black performances, you know, over the span of decades from um, musicians to sports stars. And um, it's it's really interesting. And it, it it's a book that a lot of the times we, when we read Black stories, we read Black stories about grief and loss and suffering. And this is not that. This is a, a story about how beautiful Black culture can be and how it's, it really defines culture in a lot of ways. And we don't, especially as white people, we don't acknowledge that at all. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is a processing of, of that. And uh, it's also a beautiful collection. And uh, I did go see him talk at Butler University. I, I live in Indianapolis. So I saw him talk at Butler University late last year. And he is working about, he's working on an essay collection about basketball and specifically uh, some of the big names that have come out of Ohio. Yeah. Well, I didn't know he was a, another Ohioan. So I'm going to have to definitely check him out. <laughs> and I didn't realize you were in Indiana, Indianapolis, which is the home of my favorite author, Kurt Vonnegut. So I, are you a oh, Vonnegut yeah, yeah. fan or is everybody in Indianapolis a Vonnegut fan? I don't know. Uh, weirdly enough, I'm not sure that I've ever read Vonnegut. Um, really? Wow. Okay. Yeah. It's, it, it, I had this, I grew up like really religious and stuff. And so mm-hmm. for like the prime of my like exploring literature phase, I, I was caught in the just like, christian authors of the 20th century thing and it was i mean they're like a lot of them are just countless hacks um but yeah i was kind of forbidden from reading a lot of things and uh you know in just the last couple of years i I quit reading after college and like a lot of people do and and now that i've gotten back into reading it's been so heavily nonfiction that there's so many classics out there that i really need to get to and i'm definitely embarrassed that i haven't read yet but I will at some point and I'm, I'm looking forward to it, especially being in Vonnegut's hometown. I think it's about time that I pick up four or five of those books. Well, he's got some, he's a great essayist also. Um, it's probably not his best, but I think a man without a country, I think is a book of essays. I'm pretty sure. Um, and then also yeah, I'll have to check lots, that of, out. lots of short stories, but uh, my favorite all time book ever also of his is God bless you, Mr. Rosewater. So that's the one I always recommend to people, but. Okay. Yeah. Every bookstore around here has the like really colorful prints of his books and stuff. That's mm-hmm. like a, a series and every single one of them has like 15 of his books. So I really just need to bite the bullet and just go down to one of my bookstores and <laughs> just pick up a pile of them. Well, the, the, I always, I don't think I've ever told the star of the podcast, but I love the way I found God bless you, Mr. Rosewater. Cause the alternative title is or pearls before swine. And nice. I used to, I used to read uh, electric meters uh, for a local electric company. And I was out reading one day and I happened to like walk past somebody's, you know, garbage basically that they left out on the curb and sitting right on top of it was that book. <laughs> and it's like an original copy. Um, like it's a nice, uh, like wow. cool copy uh, and I just picked it up and read it that was the first Vonnegut book I ever read and I fell in love and I read most of his stuff now but um but yeah I always thought it was hilarious that that's how I came across it because clearly someone else didn't, didn't think it was that great yeah it seems like a very Vonnegut way to come across stuff and just what I know of him though <laughs> yeah, yeah well you know, speaking of kind of that religious upbringing, one thing I, I learned about you from a recent video is that we have in common what it sounds like was a, a horrible religious background growing up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but you you explained that you actually went to a pretty extreme private Christian school from what it sounds like. And I'm wondering if you can talk about that a bit and whether, you know, you had to do any religious deconstruction in that regard. And I'm also super, super curious to hear about the paramilitary training that you mentioned to yeah. prepare for the apocalypse, because that's a new one, even for me. So wondering yeah. if you can share about that at all. Oh yeah. It, it was a wild ride. And, and it's such a weird thing. I'm not religious anymore. I, I haven't been religious for a long while. Mm-hmm. And when I start talking to like friends or stuff that I've made in adulthood that have never like been part of the church, like, when telling these stories it's like people have like no idea how to handle it because obviously it's like very blatant religious trauma and and, uh, trauma on a whole different 
level of what people are kind of used to. And um, yeah, it just seems like fake when I tell my stories, but yeah, I, I grew up in like this very cultishly right wing, like ultra right wing, alt right is I guess now what it's called um, conservative Christian environment that uh, was really horrible. And some of that paramilitary training was all, it was a lot of like survivalist skills. Cause I think a lot of those people were uh, obsessed with the idea of a civil war or a race war or a, uh, uh, you know the the what is the thing called in revelations it's like all the people get taken up to heaven oh, kind of thing the, uh, not the apocalypse but the uh yeah i know what you're talking about i, I don't, don't know why, why I, can't. I can't i mean it was like a big part of my childhood and now i'm blanking on the name but yeah the, rap, that was the rapture like, it's the, the rapture, rapture. yes, yes there we go. sorry no but the rapture they thought that would happen like at any moment and you know I, a lot of people that i grew up around are still convinced i'll still see a facebook post about like anytime now you know when it's like no like i don't know how to tell you but you need to like abandon that idea mm-hmm. um but yeah that, that was like a thing and so we did a uh, survivalist trills i took um i just take like some gun lessons so i actually like worked at the not worked but i i like i did um like the shotgun the skeet and trap shooting oh, wow. and stuff like as part of like my church group um, mm-hmm. when i was like 12 years old and um, when I was like 16, uh, we were learning how to like clean and uh, carry and maintain different forms of firearms, like handguns and rifles and stuff like that. And um, yeah, guns were just like a super centric part of growing up and also a lot of, um, uh, you know, just survivalist skills, you know, like how mm-hmm. to access clean water and those types of things, which like in, in a lot of environments can be like very healthy uh, things to learn. Like these are uh, probably important life lessons, but they were all taught with the life lesson of like, yeah, you're going to have to kill atheists someday. You're (laughs) going to have to kill Muslims someday. And so like, you can't really take that lesson out and just be like, yeah, I learned like some good, you know, boy scout stuff. You're like, no, I learned like literally extremist like behaviors and tactics and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, that was part of it. And, you know, there's a, a whole litany of just like really bad things that I was taught that, just over the course of more than a decade, I had to try to unlearn myself. I mean, I, I became an atheist in high school and okay. towards the later years of my high school, I, I just had to like reapproach everything that I'd been taught, which I think is like why, you know, why I'm such a heavy nonfiction reader like now is, is just because I'm like trying to learn and unlearn everything that I grew up with. I, I'm trying to break down those philosophies and you know i I think i've done a a decent job at it where i you know i i have a lot of my own beliefs that are very far displaced from what i grew up in but there's still these like weird things that stick with you and i I think for anyone in the church that leaves it you know you still have those random moments where you're like i wonder what the bible says about this and then you're consciously like well i don't really give a fuck like that doesn't (laughs) matter but like that training that like brainwashing sticks with you for a long time oh sure I'm curious, did you ever have to read those like left behind books or, you know, yeah, weirdly, about? Yeah, weirdly enough, I, I've met the author, uh, one of the authors of it several times. I won his writing award for college. Oh, wow. So nice. I had, I've had dinner with him. I've spoken on stage with him a couple of times. So yeah, he was a, a great friend of the, uh, the a guy at the university that I went to it kind of recruited me for wow. writing. And um, so, yeah, I've, I've, had my runnings in with him. And, uh, even at the time, uh, I knew his books were pretty dangerous and, and also like fan favorites of everyone that I went to church with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, interesting. Okay. I, uh, <laughs> I was going to be a youth minister, so it took me a little longer to get, uh, get out of the, uh, that mindset. So yeah. Um, Is that kind of why you went into Judaism is like, you, you liked that kind of like teaching and the, I don't know what I would call it, but like that. You know, know. it was more just kind of started as a joke uh, because I wanted I wanted to see if uh, like I had left the church like long before I really kind of 
you know, entered into Dudism. I always like I liked the movie a lot. And yeah, then yeah. I, I kind of found out that there was a religion. And so <laughs> uh, and I learned that the only thing you had to do was to, you know, give them your email address and you were ordained. And so mm-hmm. and then I actually sent that in to the secretary of state. And so I can marry people. Now I've done three weddings and stuff. So oh. it's mo- it was more like kind of a way to do that. But then the more I got into it, the more there's a lot I find interesting uh, about it. And it's just kind of fun, you know. I might so. I might have to officiate a wedding at some point in the, you know, I don't know how near future, but uh if I'm gonna have to get ordained for this, I definitely know what route I'm taking. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, I would recommend it. So well, another thing that we have in common is being pretty open about our mental health. And I talk a lot about my bipolar, of course, and it seems like you talk a lot about your schizophrenia. So um one of your videos still really resonated with me recently. And it was about uh, terrible advice that people give you oh, <laughs> about, yeah, yeah, about yeah. your illness and how useless it is. So wondering if you can talk about some of the things people say to you. Oh, it's, it's, it's hard to even like keep track of some of the stuff. Cause I've just heard so much shit over the course right. of a decade that, um, you know, I, I, I laugh, but when I put up this video, I also get a lot of comments from people with, uh, with schizophrenia or bipolar or depression that they've also heard similar things. And then they, they want to say something that they've heard. And I'm like, Oh yeah, I have, like, I forgot that. Like that was, <laughs> yeah, that was a huge piece of advice someone gave. I think, yeah, there's just a, a whole thing of when you live openly with a mental illness, I think with really any disability, um, I think mental illness has its own unique traits though. Um, you just get unfettered advice from people, um, just unwarranted and often like very demoralizing advice and left and right. And, and from people that are very serious and also people that sometimes just don't give a fuck about whether you're healthy or not. And um, yeah, that's just been a thing that I've, I never really thought of. Uh, and then I got diagnosed and it just started happening and it still happens like left and right. And I, you know, I, I would think that I'm a slightly successful uh, schizophrenic in, in terms of like, yeah, I'm doing all right in life. I'm pretty happy. You know, like a lot of doctors don't even think that's like possible. And yeah, I'm like, I'm doing pretty good. I read my books. I like enjoy my life and people still want to give me advice. And I'm just like, it, it's exhausting because it's, I mean, it's, it's almost never good. <laughs> like it's right. they, people have no idea what they're talking about. Have you had a, a favorite, just horrible thing someone suggested to you? Well, yeah. I mean, probably the worst was that, you know, I, I was experiencing problems because I left the church, obviously I need to come back and then Jesus will fix it somehow. Like, you know, I Mm -hmm. guess. So, um, that one is probably the funniest to me, but that's a classic too. And that's, yeah. Any religious person, the first thing they'll say to you is yeah. Just, just pray about it more. Or, you know, like if you attend to church more often, you know, for me, it's like, you'll stop hallucinating. And you're like, I know it won't like this. That's not how this works at all. So right. how old were you when you were diagnosed? Yeah, I was officially diagnosed when I was 19. Uh, I think my symptoms started around 17 or 18. It's really hard, like looking back at those to like realize exactly when things started just because like life right. was really chaotic but yeah i got officially diagnosed just shy of my 20th birthday and uh i'm uh i'm 29 now so it's been it's been a decade um like living with it and like knowing i was living with it and it's been a whole thing i mean there's there's been a lot of years of struggle you know there was some really low points that i i never thought i was going to make it out of and um mm-hmm. And then I, you know, I started doing like advocacy stuff where I would like, I would travel around and public speak and, and like tell my story and stuff. And I've kind of stepped away from that a little bit now. Um, that's like, just not the primary like focus for me anymore. And sure. and now I've just like created a, a little bit of an audience on TikTok, just like talking about books that I like. And uh, I still like talking about mental health. I still think it's important and stuff, but I think after a while, like advocacy kind of wears you down in some sense, like advocacy is so much more personable when it's like not the primary focus of your life, because then it just, it gets so difficult and so depressing because change happens so slowly. And um, now just doing like one schizophrenia related video, like every couple of weeks uh, is really fun because it, it still like lets people know, you know, a lot of important things or lets people have a laugh, which I think is also important because like something I always try to do when public speaking was like, I would, you know, I would tell my story about, 
suicide attempts are ending up in a hospital and then immediately followed up with like some <laughs> bad stand-up comedy stuff where I'm just like, <laughs> guys, it's okay. Like we, like, w- like we need to, we need to, you know, think this is serious, but also like y- you can't always be serious. Right. Yeah. No, I, I totally understand that. And that's good for you to have, you know, realized it that early on. Cause I was diagnosed later than that. And then I didn't really accept the diagnosis for like another mm-hmm. seven years. And then yeah. finally, you know, like four years ago or so now, probably I, I finally realized, yeah, I am probably bipolar. So <laughs> it took me <laughs> well, a little like, longer. Yeah. And when you get to that acceptance phase, you start realizing like how different life can look like, cause like one of the things for me, like being like accepting my illness meant that I could like talk about it. And I think I accepted it privately, but not publicly. And, and, but once I started like talking about it and like being honest with my friends and family about like what I was experiencing, how I was feeling and all of those types of things. And I didn't try to just like grit my teeth and make it through like all on my own. Like it really became a thing where like, Oh, my life just kind of opened up for me and like new opportunities and new relationships like flourished because like there was like, I guess the humility that it takes to just be honest about, the struggle and it, it really helped me. And hopefully it's, hopefully you've had a point of like your own realization within that. Oh yeah. And I, you know, I, I think I realized as soon as I was finally honest about it, then it was much better to be honest about it just for my own sake. But also, yeah. you know, I was a teacher kind of when I was diagnosed the second time, I guess, and <laughs> being honest about it with my students, I think helped a lot of the students too. So I think that it's always, I always appreciate when people talk about it. So thank you for yeah. that. And you never know like who it's going to impact. Like that's right. been one of the, like the coolest things about doing what I've done and, and especially being so open about stuff is just the, the constant barrage of messages or people saying like, Hey, like my, I sent this to my friend and it really like made their day and stuff and like that. You know, those little moments like make, you know, the embarrassment of being chronically online, you know, it's just like, it's <laughs> so much more fun and, and like, joyful to you know because those moments happen and it's it's just it's nice yeah absolutely well so you made a video not long ago that was venting a bit of frustration at an article by the new york times about Mm -hmm. barnes and noble becoming kind of the good guy in the book industry in recent years but the frustrating part of that article you know it seems to be that it makes no mention of book talk whatsoever um so can you can you talk about the influence of book talkers like yourself and how stores are maybe benefiting off your reviews and things without doing much of anything at all to recognize your impact <laughs> on those sales yeah well i yeah that's just a, definitely been a thing is is book talk has been so influential in in changing kind of how cool reading is i think like a lot of people in the last couple of years and you know, there's a lot of quarantine that is also, I guess, weirdly enough to like thank for that. But, you know, book talk has, has gotten people back into reading and it's gotten people to explore different genres and it's gotten people to pick up books that they never would have. And with the huge growth in reading and, and bookstores and publishers all saw that growth for like the last two years, I think it's kind of slowing down right now um, based on some of like the quarter one filings. But, you know, we gave the industry billions of dollars and uh even with i've got you know 60 some thousand followers it's hard to get a sponsorship like it's just it's a thing that we are the biggest tool for advertising for these publishers and for specific books and yet we we make nothing And, and a lot of people often spend money on these books you know you go buy a book for 20 bucks and then i make a video you know, I spent 20 bucks and took the time to read it, took the time to make this video. And the, the, the video somehow pops off and gets half a million views and 2000 people go buy that book now. And so the, these publishing houses in, in Amazon and Barnes and Noble, they just made thousands and thousands of dollars off of my labor. And I received nothing, not a thank you note, not recognition, not, uh, monetary compensation and and so one of the things that i've been talking about recently is maybe it's time for book talkers and and book influencers in general both on youtube and instagram is you know have some type of collection collective action or collective voice or union you know i don't know exactly how these things would work in this type of space but yeah i mean it's it's definitely a thing where 
we've been on the outside of the book industry while doing all of the hard work for them. Mm -hmm. We're the ones pushing out the books. And uh, I learned recently that I am kind of responsible for, you know, it's not just me. I, you know, I don't want to say it's, I'm the only person, but the the book that we talked about earlier, they can't kill us until they kill us. Um, the university of uh, Minnesota just checked on it in their library. And I got emailed about it was that um, before me speaking about it, they had seen about 70 people checking it out per month um, or per semester, 70 people per semester. And after I talked about this book, they saw a growth rate just massive. They saw over a thousand people checking out this book per semester from 70 to, to over a thousand. And like, I realized like I played a role in that. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, that's just a library and who knows what the bookstores and who knows what the, the author themselves. And, you know, I think one of the things I don't want to go after is, is specific authors or uh, especially independent, smaller publishing houses. Like I realized you know, they are running a ship on the margins. You know, a lot of them are failing uh, financially. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, so I don't want to just say like, hey, give us all your profits. It's not, it's not as simple as that. But I think there's got to be some way that we can get better recognition and some money. Uh, because like, I think the work that we do is important. And obviously it works, you know, like people, mm-hmm. people take our recommendations left and right. Um, and, and they buy those books or they check them out from the library. And so maybe there's ways that we can work with publishing houses or, or libraries, even, you know, paid, unpaid sometimes, you know, I don't even have the answers for that, but there's, there's just gotta be something because we get a lot of recognition from our audience members, but we get basically nothing um, from publishing houses. And uh, even for me and like the size of my audience, I, I still have a tough time sometimes talking to publishers there was a book recently published that I, I would really like to read and review. And when you do this like book influencer stuff, you get free books a lot. Like I, I've gotten a ton and I reached out to them about this book. I reached out to them again. I reached out three or four times total and never heard a single thing from them. And it's like, okay. So like, but you know, if I talk to a small indie press, they're like, Hey, like I'll send you that book. And like, can you pick five others? Like just like, mm-hmm. just to show them in a video. And so like, the appreciation that we get from small indie publishers is so impactful and it feels so good to like be desired by them and stuff. And then from like the big five, uh, they, they don't give a shit. Like it's, Mm -hmm. and it's so obvious by the way that they communicate and how impersonal everything is. And and like, that's got to change. Like we can't like, it's so bad. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it's even so blatant to, like, aren't there some stores that have had just like, here's what this book talk creator has picked. Here's the books right here. <laughs> right. Like, yeah, well, it's not even that. I mean, that's, that would be kind of cool. That would be like a nice shout out to a, a, an individual creator or a group of creators or anything like that. It's just that uh, so many bookstores, even indie bookstores now have book talk tables where they're like, Oh, here's the books that everyone is talking about by these. And, and the only thing that's talking about book talk is, the label on the table and none of that money goes to us. None of that recognition goes to us. Like there's no way for them to figure out what book talkers are suggesting that book or talking about that book. There's nothing. It's just, Hey, let's make a profit off of this community. And they do. And it's huge. Yeah. Well, I hope that changes for sure. Um, Yeah. I hope so too. I I don't know how, but I I'm in a lot of conversations with a lot of different people right now. And uh, weirdly enough, none of, none of like, I've had one publishing house reach out to me uh, and they'd like to talk, but no one else has. And I, mm-hmm. my video did pretty well. And uh, I think there was like 15 other creators, like within a 24 hour period of me putting up that video that all started talking. So obviously they've, they've seen, you know, some yeah. of them, some of those imprints, they've seen what we're talking about. And uh, to my knowledge, no one has reached out to any of us. Gotcha. Well, speaking of other book talk creators, I know you like to follow others. Uh, so who, who are some others uh, that are maybe some of your favorites people should also check out? Yeah. Um, one of my favorite nonfiction reviewers is Kafia and it's K4FIA. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kafia is a uh, black woman out of Toronto, Canada, I think Toronto, um, and recommends a ton of um, indigenous authors and food justice topics 
really incredible picks that uh, I'm jealous of. Even as someone that people think of as like recommending books no one's heard of, like I'm just always blown away at the books Coffee is reading. So uh, she is absolutely one of my favorites. I'm friends with a lot of, uh, weirdly enough, sapphic uh, book talkers. So people talking about like specifically lesbian, but a lot of just like queer representation. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's uh, sapphic Hobbit and Francis books and, um, you know, Erm reading. There's a lot of people that are just doing a lot of really great stuff. And and I don't think um, in a lot of, like other like in youtubers like a lot of the best youtubers are the biggest youtubers mm-hmm. you know what i mean like because they've put in the hours and stuff and like there's a lot of creators with like a thousand followers on book talk that i'm like they're putting they're putting the best stuff on the app here so mm-hmm. um and if you ever want someone that does like book video essays um mel at page melt is oh someone i envy so much every time they put out a video I'm like, oh man, I wish I could do this. This is what they, the way that they think and the way that they talk about stuff is, uh, is truly inspiring. So yeah, those are just some of them, but there's, there's so many out there. And if anyone wants to get into book talk, I mean, I think just, um, you know, not thinking that book talk is the 10 biggest creators and that it's really a community made out of thousands and thousands. Like there's definitely creators talking about whatever niche that interests you or anyone, uh, there's definitely creators for that. And that's what I love so much about book talk. Awesome. Well, I'm curious to know your opinion on this is, um, is listening to a book also reading the book or do you? Uh... Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the classic debate. Yeah. Right. This, is, this comes up in drama. Well, every about six weeks is someone makes a video about audiobooks. Mm-hmm. you know, being different and you're like, shut the fuck up. Like this is, <laughs> This is so exhausting. Yeah. Listening is reading. I like, I don't care. And that's like, that's my opinion on a lot of the drama of book talk. It's just like, man, we, there are more important things to argue about, but yeah, I think audiobooks are great. I, I do audiobooks sometimes, not as often as I would like, but audiobooks are incredible. And, and the, the work that goes into them is, is really, really cool. So yeah, if people are not physical readers, you know, anyone with dyslexia or a ADHD or, or anything that makes it hard. Um, but they want to read like, yeah, check out audiobooks because there's a lot of good ones out there. And it, the way your brain works, it's the same. Like there's really no like neurological differences. So I don't know why people are so obsessed with like the purity of staring at words on a page. It's just <laughs> right. such a silly thing to, to care about to me. I'm glad you validated me. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The last one I read, I actually got to have the pick for our book club and it was Anthony Bourdain's uh, Kitchen Confidential, which it was audio and it was kind of nice because it was like Anthony Bourdain speaking to me from, you know, beyond the grave almost. Yeah. He, he reads it. And so, um, but I, I love audio books. I, I almost hardly ever read you know, physical books anymore, just because I'm mm-hmm. kind of spoiled. So, yeah, no, I, it's great. And there's, uh, they're very accessible now, you know, both libraries yeah. and, and um, online audiobook retailers are, they're putting out so much stuff, which is awesome. But I don't know if you saw this and hopefully this doesn't just like ruin this relationship in this moment, but I, my worst book of the year last year was um, Anthony Bourdain's World Travel. Oh, um, no, I did see that. Yeah. And I agree. <laughs> I agreed with you. Yeah. 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 Um, oh, what a cash grab. I mean, just yeah, so disappointing. And like, it was definitely a thing that if Bourdain was still alive, he would have never signed off on that. Right. <laughs> I mean, totally just, agree. just blatant, but yeah, I mean, Bourdain was, I mean, just such a huge impact for, I think American American culture realizing that American culture is not that cool, mm-hmm. you know, in some way that like the, like the things that are cool about it are not the things that we think of. And I think right. Bourdain is just like one of the people that spoke to that the most. And man, I, yeah, I still, every once in a while, we'll, we'll turn on some of the old TV shows just to, just to sit with them for a while. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, yeah, I was so disappointed by that book, and I haven't even finished it yet. Um, I don't know if I will or not, but oh, I it's would. not worth it. Yeah, I would, <laughs> I would fucking drop that book as quickly as I can. Yeah, it's unfortunate, but yeah. 
Well, in terms of the future, one thing I learned recently uh, is that I'm excited to hear you're you're going to be starting not just one, but two new podcasts, uh, one with another creator and one on your own, I believe, which is awesome. So can you talk about what those are going to be about? Yeah, yeah. So the plan right now is just uh, I'm going to be doing uh, another podcast, which I, I, I can't speak too much about it, but it'll just be about like things that interest us with the other creator. And we're just going to be talking about like kind of some of our current obsessions and things that we think about a lot and like diving deep into a certain issue, but we want to make it fun and lighthearted. So it'll be a lot of history and politics and, but like some deeper stories within there. So it'll be a a good amount of research, but also uh, hopefully not like boring. (laughs) That would be like the worst thing to happen. Um, And the other podcast, uh, which I'm probably just going to call it schizophrenic reads. I'm just going to use my username, which is, I don't know, kind of <laughs> not that interesting, I suppose. But um, yeah, it's going to be a nonfiction podcast and uh, it's it's going to be alternating between talking to people in the industry, like writers and publishers, agents, you know, anyone that I can gather to talk about like the, the nitty gritty of writing and publishing and all of that type of stuff. And then it's going to alternate between that and talking to other creators or, or people that love books uh, about some of their favorite books or some of the books that they've really wanted to read uh, that they've never committed to. And so it would be kind of like this this book club that uh, I don't know if there's going to be a, much participation involved uh, outside of listening. Um, but yeah, it'll just be a way for people to like turn into a conversation uh, about, you know, a lot of books. And uh, I'm, I'm even thinking I might do like kind of a in-depth reading series with some of those really intimidating books that everyone wants to read, but has been scared off that, you know, I might do some bonus episodes here and there where we really dive deep into, you know, certain things that um, I think people want to learn about, but like when they go to a bookstore and they see this 800 page history book, they're like, I can't do that. But I think if you're doing it while listening to a podcast or while listening to people talk about it, I think it makes it so much more easy and approachable for people. So That'll be one of the, one of the things that I'm hoping to do with this podcast. And one of the things that I hear most common on my podcast is people talking about, uh, you know, they, they want to get into nonfiction, but they don't know where to start. It seems really tough. It seems dry or boring. And, uh, you know, I'm going to spend a lot of this podcast trying to like break those myths and show people that there's so much beautiful stuff out there and, and that, a lot of the information is not as challenging as you think. And sometimes even when it is challenging, if you think about it in a different way or have this different perspective, like it makes things so much easier. And so hopefully that's something that I can bring to the table where uh, even, even things that people didn't think they would want to read beforehand, that they maybe will get really invested because they, they can listen into a conversation. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I can't wait to listen to it. Thank you. Well, um, Let's see. So funny enough, I actually asked this question of all my guests before I end the show. Um, but I'm really excited to hear your answer. But I, I started this show as a way to kill time during the pandemic. So I always like to know if there are any books or podcasts or shows you'd recommend reading, listening to or watching. And I'm guessing you'll have a few probably. Yeah, well, I don't want to do a selfless plug. But if you want book recommendations, I would definitely just tune into my TikTok where I am. Uh just talking about them left and right. And it's hard to come up with some on the top of my head, but one of the ones that I've been most obsessed with recently is bullshit jobs by David Graeber, who uh, he died a couple of years ago, but might just be one of the most interesting nonfiction writers. He's an anthropologist kind of historian and all of these types of things like focused on uh, economics and society and bullshit jobs is absolutely incredible. And he wrote a book called debt, a 5,000 year history, which is, a five it's a 500 page book on monetary theory throughout history and which sounds so dry and is the most mind-blowing book i've probably ever read in my life i mean just absolutely incredible so definitely those um but yeah i talk about so many um on tiktok uh but i do listen to a ton of podcasts as well um i don't want to give too much away about all of them but uh, one of the ones that I've been recently going through is True Anon, which is a leftist, very anti-authoritarian um, look at a ton of different things that have happened in culture. And uh, it started kind of as a podcast focused almost solely on Jeffrey Epstein and has kind of, you know, with 
kind of most of the conclusions around that case happening already has talked about a lot of different things, a lot of different uh, episodes on things that are kind of like conspiratorial in some sense, you know, 9-11 or um, you know, the OKC bombing. So uh, that is one that I would definitely recommend. Um, I love the Dollop podcast, which is a uh, comedic history. Um, it's by two comedians, but it's also really good history that just tells weird stories almost always in American history. And the stories are both uh, hilarious, but also just like unbelievable in so many ways. So that's definitely, if someone's definitely new to history or just like looking to learn like weird tidbits of history, uh, the dollop is one of my favorites. And the last one I'll say is maintenance phase, uh, which is a kind of health and wellness podcast, but taken from the approach of two people that are very anti-health and wellness industry. Um, and so talking about dieting and fatness and food, um, but through the lens of that we as a culture have completely bastardized almost every talking point in those uh, like subgenres. Yeah. So Awesome. Well, um, remind me, again remind people if you will where people can find you on uh, tiktok yeah i'm at schizophrenic reads on tiktok i think that's also my instagram username and uh on um on twitter i'm at schizo reads uh, schizophrenic reads was too long of a username so <laughs> yeah sure. so if anyone wants to find me on any of those yeah feel free awesome well thank you so much again for coming on and talking with me today i really appreciate it and i really enjoy your uh i can't wait to you know enjoy your book stuff already and i can't wait to hear your podcast yeah thank you so much i uh i really enjoyed this conversation thanks for having me on absolutely thank you all right that's my interview with nathan shuark otherwise known as schizophrenic reads and i can't thank him enough for coming on the show to talk with me today if you're not following him you definitely should be and if you're not on tiktok then you need to get on there I will make sure to include a list of book and author recommendations on my show notes, which it occurred to me recently you may not know how to find. So if you'd like to access those, simply visit killingtimedurincorona.blogspot.com and you can find them there. That's it for this episode, but if you enjoyed it, please be sure to leave a review and share it with a friend. Thanks so much for listening and take care, everyone.